Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Arizona. We are so happy to be broadcasting this morning and we're so thankful that you have tuned in uh, at this time. This of course is the live period of our our uh, program but it can be listened to at a later date and many do just that. Now what we are studying is episode number 42 of the Gospel of John Concerning the Messiah of God, our text today will be from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, Uh, just the first nine verses, and I don't even know if we can get through that, but this, uh, I'm excited about this because this is a wonderful chapter um, that we're going to begin, and we have here in this chapter, and, and all the way through um, chapter 17, we have an opportunity to hear the very words as recorded uh, as recorded by the Apostle John that Jesus spoke to the apostles, and more to the point here, to the 11 apostles um, in these chapters. It's just full of his teaching, his um, encouragement, his revelation, if you will, as to things that they did not know but needed to. And it's a real opportunity for anyone uh, reading this gospel and studying it. This section of scripture, as I said, chapters 14 through 17, take place on the same night of the Last Supper, as we call it, and the arrest of Jesus in the garden. And remember I said the date on that is probably uh, March 20, the 28th, A.D. 31. Um, that's got to be very close. 
to the dating. So we know where we're at in all of these things that transpires in these chapters through 17 are happening on that uh, on that day. Now, as we progress into chapter 18 and 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 on, the day changes to the next day, of course, when we get past uh, the time period. Also, in this study, I want you to make sure you have your thinking cap on uh, because we're going to really have an opportunity to hone our skills in the grammar uh, as we do, you know, in, in our studies in general. But this is so important in these chapters um, to actually know what Jesus said to the apostles. And we're going to need to follow the rules of interpretation uh, to do so. Don't we want to know what Jesus said and not be misled in one way or another? I'm, I'm sure that we all do. Everyone says they want to know. But what happens when these things start pecking away at, at our, uh, uh, you know, our bad luggage? Uh, our preconceived notions um, that we learned at another time. Well, we're going to have to make a decision about that. But the grammar is key because the grammar is inspired just as every word is inspired from, the, from heaven itself. So we need to listen to those words that Jesus taught to the eleven uh, with him that night. As I said, many false assumptions have been formed concerning the saints of Christ, the Christians, in the assemblies down through the centuries because we do not read exactly what Jesus said and, we don't, and, and we're not making any real uh, clarification on who he's speaking to. These things are important and they need to be conformed to. We're going to have to conform ourselves to not only the truth of Scripture, but how it is we arrive at the truth of Scripture. And, of course, that's through the original language, the Greek meanings of words, and the grammar. So, you know, the exegesis of, uh, of our Scripture is a, is a literary interpretation. In other words, we take it as literature, we take it as words from a language that, that have uh, de definitions and certainly have grammar. So we can't rely on any of our, uh, our old uh, suitcases of, of uh, problems or what we've learned. We need to learn it from the scripture. It, that was always the intent, and it should continue to be. So as I, I mentioned, the rules of interpretation, and I have one that um, I, think, I think we've uh, loaded, uploaded it before to our talk show, but we probably should do it again, especially during these chapters. Just something to have to, to look at that is ba basically this is based on the rules of interpretation for any uh, language or any book, you know, they use these rules of interpretation to interpret Shakespeare because the English of Shakespeare is nothing like the English of our, our country. The same rules apply. Uh, I've just put in some of the words that would help, uh, help us to um, understand that we're speaking about the scripture, although uh, that's not too awfully necessary. Anyway, we, uh, we'll upload this again and, and have it on there so people can make uh, print it out or look at it. But I think it's, it's worthy of examination and worthy of comment if there's any disagreement on it. But I think we should begin reading. John 14, just the first five verses. And we're looking at it through um, uh, the Young's translation uh, that's uh, very accurate here. 
One thing I will note, well, I'm going to, let me read the first verse. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, also in me believe. Now, remember where we left off in 13. Where are they? They're in the upper room. They're having a lot of conversation. Well, they're still there, I believe. All right? Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in the God. The definite article is there in the Greek. Believe in the God. Also in me, believe. And we can we carry that the weightiness of that statement clear through where Jesus is speaking, uh, which is a, a personal pronoun, first, first person, of course. Now, we're going to be dealing with things like, uh, mostly things like the pronouns, uh, first person, singular, um, second person, plural, and things of that sort in, in these verses. Um, and this we don't find in our regular Bible, but it is found in any uh, uh, Bible program. Uh, all of the, uh, the grammar is there. So I don't know why that um, the, the uh, definite article is dropped in, in Young's uh, first verse there, but, but it was. I want to make that correction because it's also um, um, the heart. I, I think that was accurate. Yeah, the heart. Um, so these things are, are not in there just to be wordy. They're in there to, to define what is actually being said. Now, the reason that the God is so important here. Number one, we're talking to people that, um, we're talking to Jewish people. Uh, the apostles were Jewish men, the, those 11. And believing in God is something, of course, they do, or they would not be there. And it's, but it's the God. You see, the idea of many gods was certainly around, and the, the word being used, who are we speaking of? When we say the God, it takes them all the way back to Genesis, the first verse. So we know who we're talking about. That's the God that they believe in. And then Jesus wants them also to, in, in me believe. You see, there's no separation there. They can go from, from the Father to the Son without any issues. All right, I wanted to point that out. Uh, because that's how we're going to have to look at these verses all the way through. Now Jesus goes on. And he is revealing something to them that I don't think he had said before. But And he starts with, of course, let not your heart be troubled, because there was much trouble very, very soon within the next 24 hours very soon to uh, fall upon the whole group. In the moment, he just told them that he's going to leave and they're not going to be able to fall. And that's right. That's exactly what's been happening. They're aware of it. He is now, he is now doing the very best that could be done to strengthen them, prepare them, and ready them. Um. But you know, as people, we need some reassurance sometimes. We need to hear some words that carry a lot of weight. Well, these words carry a lot of weight. These words are the words that have come from above. This is the promise of the Father to these men. So verse 2, In the house of my Father, are many mansions. And if not, I would have told you, I go on to prepare a place for you. And if I go on and prepare for you a place, 
again do I come, and I will receive you unto myself, that where I am you also may be. And whither I go away you have known, and the way you have known. Verse 5, Thomas saith to him, Lord, we have not known whither thou goest away, and how are we able to know the way? Well, Thomas wasn't quite accurate there. I mean, Jesus had been speaking of this, but they're still questioning it as, as they would, and that's why Jesus is speaking to them in this way. So let's look at these first verses. I want to set what I feel is a real precedent here. Um, Verse 1 and on. In your mind, who is speaking? Where are they? Well, I've just said they're they're still in, in the upper room. I even gave you the date, I believe. That's where they are. That's where the speaker is. The speaker is the Lord himself. And who is being spoken to? This is the issue um, that, will, that, that comes into this and is very important for us to understand. Now, if the one speaking and the one being spoken to is a, is, is a group that we can identify then this must remain until the antecedent of these of the pronouns, the you, until that changes. That means other people other than the eleven are brought into the conversation. So until that changes, the things said apply to the eleven and to the eleven only. In that upper room, they had finished their meal, and now Jesus was speaking to them in this way. Now, the your, um, in verse 1, let not your heart, I I guess that's the way, um, yeah, that's the way it is. It's um, second person, plural. All right, so we know it's not referring to anyone but the second person plural, which the second person would be the other people there. Jesus is first person, singular. Um, that's, that's who's speaking. But second person plural, because it's, it's the group of 11 at this, at this point. So the your, the your of verse 1 is second person plural, which refers to the apostles. If, if we can allow anybody into that you, then any preacher can add themselves into that me. Mm-hmm. If you're going to ignore the rules, at least ignore them all. That's the problem we have. Because people read this, this text that we, we're going to read, and immediately they start uh, uh, choosing uh, curtains and furniture for their mansion to be blunt, all right? Not to mention present tense as well. Now, I taught this lesson in a Bible, a Bible class a number of years ago in the presence of, a, of a two or three other preachers that did not appreciate my interpretation. But I did show them that it was not mine, but it was indeed the Scripture's interpretation. So... Um, we're just going to have to let this happen the way it, it happened. Now, we're so worried about ourselves, but to start with, um, everything to do with Christianity starts with the apostles. They were the first Christians. Can we take that away from them? No. Okay. The you and your of verse 1 are both second person plural, referring to the apostles. 
Now, as I said before, as we go on here, if the antecedent does not change, no one should assume that anyone outside of the 11 apostles that were there and being spoken to is being promised anything from Jesus. As I said, this thought does not go, go down well with some. But, you know, if, if we're just honest um, with the grammar and the text, we can see that that's true. It does not in any way minimize uh, what will come for the Christian uh, when they leave this, this uh, physical life and, and, and go to be with the Lord. Uh, the glory of that is, is unspeakable in our language, in our, in our mind even. Don't worry about your mansion. I believe it says many up there. How many is many? You see, many could be a lot. It depends on uh, the size of the, uh, the expanse, I guess. Verse 2. The you is in reference to the 11 apostles. Why? Because the grammar won't allow us to, to do anything else. It's the same. It's there um, in, in both places. How can we take this statement and apply it to anyone else? We can't from this verse, can we? Now, if there's another place in Scripture where the apostles are speaking this to the, the Christians, the assemblies, well, then that would be a different case. To take it or to add anybody else into this mix is to be, not be being loyal with the Word of God, to do great violence to the text. Well, let me read, I want to read a few verses here and show you where I'm going with this. The, the idea of, of this um, is, is going to be un, unraveled here in uh, these few verses and the next ones to come. Matthew 19, verse 28. Jesus said to them, the them here is the apostles again, Verily I say to you that you who did follow me in the regeneration when the Son of Man may sit upon a throne of his glory, shall sit you also upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, can, I don't think I have to point out some very strong issues here. Uh, Jesus on his throne in the regeneration. You see, that's, that's the parousia we're talking about. That's the return of Christ. That's uh, uh, so many places in the New Testament. First uh, Thessalonians chapter uh, 3 or 4, I forget which it is now. Um, but Second Thessalonians chapter 1, this is the time frame, uh, and it goes on and on. We'll read a couple more verses. There's 12 other thrones, friends, they didn't save one for me. But I'm just going to have to get over it, and so is everyone else. The, why? These, these thrones are for those that are judging the 12 tribes of Israel. I don't think I qualify, and, and nor does anyone else today. These are the things that were determined long ago. As a matter of fact, we can read in Daniel chapter 7 this very thing predicted. But anyway, let, let's read uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting with verse 14. Here the apostle Paul is, has been talking to the, the church there. They're concerned, the church is concerned about the apostles that have died and the other Christians that have died. But here in verse 14, for if we believe, now the we here is not, is not a general statement. The we is also referring to the apostles. That Jesus died and rose again, so also God, through, um, 
God, those asleep through Jesus, he will bring with him. Now, that's a general statement. For this to you, we say in the word of the Lord, that we who are living, who do remain over to the presence of the Lord, oh, that's a beautiful translation there, that's the parousia, may not proceed those asleep. Because the Lord himself, in a shout, in the voice of a chief, of, of a chief messenger, and in the trump of God, shall come down from heaven, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, who are living, who are remaining over together with them, shall be caught away in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so also always with the Lord we shall be. Friends, the we in chapter in verse 17 is reference to the apostles, not to every Christian. And they're the only ones that are living that I can see in this text that are taken, caught away in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Why? Because they had a place to be. And Jesus had said and promised they would be with him at this time. That's why those living apostles were caught away. Now, how do we know that this doesn't refer to everyone? Well, in 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter, and in just the first few verses, Paul makes it clear that he doesn't want the church there and the Christians to be upset because they had been gathered to the Lord. The apostles were all gone. The ones that had died or had been martyred were with the Lord when he came back. Uh, returned in the Prusia, and those that were alive and well met, uh, met him in the air. This isn't, most people do not accept this as the truth of Scripture, but when we put it all together, I think, we can see some real uh, issues here. Again, we need to stop worrying about people that are not in the text. There's a place for everybody, but we can't insert groups of people in this. Um, because the apostle didn't, the grammar doesn't, the language won't allow us to, because verse 17 is clear, um, that it's in reference to the apostles who are living, who are remaining over together. With them, the ones that return shall be caught away in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, where do they where do they go? Neil, uh, yes. this this uh, this passage is taking away a lot of leverage and uh, erasing a lot of fancy stories. And certainly, you know, the stories perhaps aren't the biggest concern for the religious powers of the world, but the leverage and uh, the money that comes with it. Is is really going to put those that you know oppose that in a really bad spot? Yeah. Well, that's right. This this understanding that I'm talking about makes a makes science fiction out of all the rapture movies that have been made. I remember watching those growing up as a kid in yeah. the church. You know, it's sensationalism. There's lots of things. And but the trouble with it is the whole futuristic problems in the Christ, in the Christian faith uh, have everything to do with taking things that we don't want to deal with or don't understand and put them into the future someplace, and that's just lazy. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the only place in in the New Testament where this is referenced, the being caught up in the air. I, that's right. Actually, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 also okay. speaks of, you remember the passage, of twi uh, a twinkling of an eye? Mm. The reference there is to the apostles, again, and not, not everyone. But my, my point being, at least my, my thought, thought line here, is that they didn't spend a whole lot of time talking about this because it, 
It yeah. really wasn't much of the the churches then. It wasn't much of their concern. Yeah. It it would be handled and taken care of. Yeah. We because we don't live in this time period. We don't understand <clears throat> the issue of the Lord leaving these men behind to be His ambassadors. You know, we, we can say for sure that these men had a special mission. They had a special. Um, uh, uh, ministry and it was evident in a number of different ways they also had um, promises from the Lord himself that were for them and not for anyone else and it doesn't mean that they're better Christians than anybody else it only means that they had promises they had different work to do but they also had the mind of Christ that was given them and no one else all right, we'll get into that. It also put them up against the same people, the same government, and the same forces that hung Christ from a tree. Right. And also the, the Jews uh, and the other uh, people that were against them. You know, they understood what Paul was saying here. They understood that the apostles were going, they were going to have a different experience. Uh, and they had a position of authority. Other people didn't really like that. So they had a lot of opposition. We know that all through the Scripture. Jesus had opposition because of exactly the same thing. Now let's look at Revelation 20, chapter 20, verse 4. And this is in reference to what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 19, the thrones, his throne, and 12 others, also in reference to what we read in Daniel chapter 7, where he saw thrones. Well, let's just read verse 4 in Revelation 20. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them. Is there any question that there's more than one throne and there's more than one individual? No. And judgment was given to them, as promised, and the souls of those who have been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, who did not bow before the beast nor his image and did not receive the mark upon their forehead and upon their hand, and they did live and reign with Christ for a thousand years. Now the thousand years is the period of time it took to do what is spoken of here, the judgment. That's what the thousand years. The thousand years here, can, you, if you want to take that literal, you also have to take literal the chains that was put on the, uh, the devil. You ever try to chain a spirit with a metal chain? These things are not to be taken literally. They are to be taken in the way that, uh, the only way that you can really say it. It's the period of time. And it's mentioned again. Later on, now, this was this is where they went. Um, now, that has reference to the promise Jesus made um, about uh, in, in in verse two, which is very clear. Uh, he says, "I go to prepare a place for you." All right, now. To just define the word mansions in the in the Greek, it's it's uh, uh, monet, I think is how it pronounced, M-O-N-E. It's a dwelling, a habitation. That's what it means, a dwelling, a habitation. Um, so is it grand? Well, is there anything that isn't grand in the New Jerusalem in the kingdom of God? Oh, I think not. So I think that, that we understand. It's an abode. Abode's another name for a dwelling. Um, you know, the third heaven is the abode of God, as it's said. Now, in this passage, we must, must give Jesus the freedom to be speaking only to the apostles. Because that's, that's the only uh, accurate way of taking this. But there are other passages speaking of the saints in general 
And I want to read, uh, I have three of them, and then we can talk about it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through 22, it says this. Of course, this is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus. Then therefore you, the congregation there, are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens of the saints and of the household of God. Friends, we don't need to worry about where, we're, where the mansion will be, okay? Being built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being chief cornerstone. Are we going to be upset with the apostles and prophets and Jesus the cornerstone? I think not in whom all the building fitly framed together doth increase to a holy sanctuary in the Lord, in whom also you are builded together for a habitation of God in the Spirit. I'll quote Jesus' term, Jesus' words, let not your heart be troubled about these mansions, and about these promises made to the apostles. Next one, Philippians 3.20. Philippians 3.20. For our citizenship is in the heavens, whence also a Savior we await, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here I'm going to point something out. The our and the we are first person plural in reference to the apostles. But remember, where the apostles are going, where their citizenship is, so is the body of Christ. Okay? So this isn't, this isn't a problem. But we've got to take the text the way it's written. They were those that first believed. Ephesians chapter 1, the first chapter all the way through verse 13 is speaking of the apostles. They are the first to believe the promises made to them, okay, all the way through till chapter, uh, till, uh, chapter uh, verse 13. And then the uh, antecedent uh, change to the pronoun changes to the group receiving the letter. Another verse here. John 17, the prayer of Jesus to the Father. Verse 16, of the world they are not. That's, he's speaking of the apostles, but listen closely. There's going to be another group here. Of the world they are not, as I of the world am not. Sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou didst send me to the world, I also did send them to the world. And for them do I sanctify myself, that they also themselves may be sanctified in truth. And not in regard to these alone do I ask. Okay, who are the these alone? The apostles, right? Not, not to these alone do I ask, but also in regard to those who shall be believing through their word in me. And they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also in us may be one, and that the world may believe us that, the, that thou didst send me. Let's see, do I have one more verse there? Yeah. And I, the glory that thou hast given me, hath given to them, that they may be one as we are. In them, in them, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be perfected into one, and that the world may know that thou didst send me, and didst love them as thou didst love me. Father, those whom thou hast given to me, I will that they where I am, they also may be 
with me, that they may behold my glory that thou didst give, give to me, because thou didst love me before the foundation of the world. We could spend a, a couple weeks on all of the wonder, wonderfulness of those words. That's Jesus' prayer. We're going to be studying that here in chapter 17. Now, in chapter 17, the apostles are listening to Jesus pray. They're hearing all of these words. And we see all of it there, the body of Christ being, being spoke of. I think it's wonderful. Verse 3, Jesus is promising the apostles that when he, as it says, I am coming, and that's a verb, the verb erkimai, singular, indicative, and present. This is the parousia that's being spoken about here. But we're not using the word parousia. We're using the verb to describe the fact that the parousia is, is, a, is an event. It's an event. Uh, also, it's in the middle voice. Um, which, uh, of course, it would be the Lord himself uh, bringing these things to be. That's the returned presence of Jesus, the parousia. Uh, and then he will receive them, the apostles, um, you, as it says in, in the text, that second person plural, you see, friends, how do we interject anyone else into this? There's been no chain of antecedent here at all. He will receive them unto himself. As it says in Thessalonians, they will meet him in the air and they will go to the place where the thrones are and the, because the judgment is about to begin. At the end of the Jewish age, everything is there. By the way, um, let, let's go to Daniel chapter 7, verse, verse 9 and 10. Daniel sees this in a vision, this very thing. As a matter of fact, at this very time period, if you read the whole, read the whole chapter, of course, you'll see the time period. Daniel says, I was seen till the thrones have been thrown down. That means set down. And the Ancient of Days is seated, his garment as snow, white, and the hair of his head is pure wool, his throne, flames of fire, its wheels burning fire. And verse 10, a flood of fire is proceeding and coming forth from before him, a thousand, thousands of thousands do serve him, and a myriad of Mary before him do rise up. The judge is seated, and the books have been opened. Friends, there's only one time the books were opened. And it was at the end of the Jewish age. And this is the same, the same thing happens in Revelation 20. The same things mentioned other times. So, we have to, un have to understand that these are all in reference to these things. Verse 4, we have another I issue here. And whither I go away, you have known. And the way you have known, or you know. This word here, uh, the, the word know, is oda. And it's not the strongest form of, of no. Uh, what it is, Jesus has just told them where he is going, all right? They should understand because they have been with Jesus and he will lead the way as he's always led the way, right? They followed him. That's what they were called, the followers of Jesus. They went where he went and they will go where he goes again. All right? You know uh, the, the way. 
for he is the way. Remember? Jesus is the way. Even the Christians were called the way in reference to this whole idea here. Now, this is a, this is a, a knowledge that should have been imparted to them because Jesus had been with them and told them about it. Okay, that, it's not nearly as personal as, as we'll see in, in another verse here. So in verse 5, we get the idea that Thomas asks a question. Lord, we have not known whither thou goest away. Well, they, they do know, but they don't know why, really. And how are we to know the way? Well, that was not a bad question. But here's the thing. What he was about to hear in the very next verse is that only through Jesus can anyone find heaven. Can anyone find the way, the way, the life, the truth, and the Father? Only through Jesus. And isn't that what he's saying? He's not saying, I'll send somebody for you. He's not saying any of those things. He's making this a personal situation between him and them. And I think we need to give that uh, the understanding that it deserves. So, uh, we're getting close to being out of time, but we can go on just a little bit here. Let's just read uh, the sixth verse, because it does kind of bring to a a wrap just a little bit. Um, Six and seven, maybe. Jesus saith to them, after all these things here, I am the way. Does that answer the question? I believe so. And the truth. And the life. Now, they knew the difference between the life and just physical life. They'd heard enough. That's life without end. No one doth come unto the Father if not through me. I know a lot of texts have the word by there, but you see, that's just a terrible mistake to use that word. The idea is through. Because that shows us that you you must be in Christ. You see in our Bible translation here, they take the word die, which is through, and they put the English word by. That's the King James. But, you know, a mistake is a mistake no matter how old it was. Um, Being in Christ is the only way to experience all of the things that Jesus has just said here. That's why we evangelize. That's why we teach people how to become a Christian. God's way. Not not the, the group's way. Not the denomination's way. Not the, the, the building the name on the church or whatever. And by the way, let me add one other thing to this because we're out of time today. This particular verse, I was listening some years back to an interview, and I think it might have been on PBS. Uh, but anyway, they were interviewing the the head of the uh, the Episcopal Church USA. He was in charge of all the dioceses across the country in the United States, which is also unscriptural, but he was asked by the interviewer, is there any verse in the Bible that you wish wasn't there? And you know, without a breath, he didn't hesitate to quote John 14, 6. Because that verse to him was offensive. That verse to him was just wrong. How about our Jewish friends? How about our Muslim friends? You mean there's no way to God for them? And this is the man that receives his pay 
from a church that calls himself Christian. And he doesn't understand the calamity that he has brought upon himself. He has no concept of what's being said here. This isn't, you know, this isn't philosophy, what Jesus said. It's not a philosophical statement. It's a matter of fact. And that's what we have to... I can't take it any other way. How can you? Jesus doesn't have to... He doesn't apologize for this, saying, I know this is unfair, but let me tell you something. No, he doesn't say that. It is fair. It's more than fair. Because Jesus was going to the cross within a matter of hours, that this could become a true statement and this could become a reality for people from that moment on. So I disagree with the leader of that group. So we will uh, conclude our lesson today with that and we'll pick up again on verse 7. Um, and uh, we'll probably add to our notes some other things. And I will get these notes out after after we're done here this morning. Right. That, that was, yeah, Alex's going to get these notes out, the outline, and then uh, maybe we can get these general rules of interpretation that we're going to be following uh, because we're going to need it. Uh, I invite you to return to this and... Uh, we're excited to present this to you at this time. We're praying that you will uh, have a blessed week as you are, uh, as you have set your mind and heart to do the things of God. And we pray it all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Lucky Land Casino asking people, "What's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?" Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.